This is the Reluctant Leader Podcast, the podcast designed to help you if you've landed a leadership role through no fault of your own and now need to find out what you should be doing. I'm your host, Mark Terrell, and have been there and know what it feels like and made all the mistakes. In each episode, I'll be getting to grips with a leadership topic by interviewing an expert in their field. You'll find out why they do what they do and take away some top tips you can use to become a more confident leader. For more content and to keep in touch with how the project is developing, go to www.thereluctantleader.co.uk. If you have any comments about the episode, you'll find me on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. So let's crack on with the show. Today I'm talking to Simon Tyler. Simon is an inspirational speaker, facilitator, coach and author. He is the simplicity guru, renowned for his ability to cut through endless complication and frustration, enabling leaders, executives, CEOs and managers and teams to simplify their personal and professional lives with outstanding results. Simon is one of the most experienced coaches and speakers in the world. He is known for his clear, supportive, yet challenging communication and is a pioneer of the field of personal growth, specifically in the power of simplicity impact and attitude i hope you enjoyed this chat we had all about attitude and i'll catch you all on the other side simon welcome to the reluctant leader podcast thank you mark um we were just talking before we um started recording about um the last time we met but i can remember the first time we met actually i don't know whether you can but it was in a in Bristol, it, in a little <laughs> backwash somewhere, yeah. It was, indeed. It was um, a congregation of lots of coaches. And I can remember coming up to you. It was very early days for me. And I came up to you and um, after you'd done your, your talk. And we talked about whether you needed to be qualified to be a coach. And you were quite pivotal, pivotal Paul, no, pivotal even, um, in my sort of next path in that, you know, I was considering whether I should go and do a course and actually, actually realized 30 years of experience is probably enough for what I wanted to do. So, um, I guess from that moment forward, you've sort of (laughs) stuck as someone that's been quite, uh, important in my journey on this coaching. Thank you. I'm glad. And I would say again, uh, and coach young, or when I say young, I mean, new to coach coaches, that that quite often is a question that comes up and people are concerned particularly in their early phases i think of building coaching businesses of feeling authentic and my discovery through my own journey of you know am i good enough do i know enough and all those sort of questions that that go around that the question of authenticity can get in the way and prevent you from actually getting started so my mm-hmm. advice would even today to anyone which is coach if you're driven to to be curious about where people are and whatever angle it is you think you bring to coaching, just do it mm. because you will, you're more likely to pick up learning on the way that is about you and what you're bringing to coaching than waiting until that mythically wonderful day when you get the gold star or the blue Peter badge or whatever it is you're waiting for. Yes. And I guess um, what we're talking about is attitude, but before we go down that path, before we go down that attitude path, which is what we're going to talk about. um, The first thing I always ask everyone that comes on the podcast is why do you do what you do? And what was the pivotal moment that took you down this path? Good question. And uh, typical me, I'll go off a brief tangent first and come back to this. I can remember watching a, uh, a video of, 
Steve Jobs doing a Stanford University presentation. And he talked to that point. I mean, yes, he has lots of values, lots of great things he brings to business, but he had a certain style of leadership. But one of the things he made in that video, which struck me and it helped me realize what happened to me, is he rarely looked back except to think, oh, that's interesting. That's how I've ended up here. But then just carried on looking forward. And that, that's always, almost been my journey too, in that I've followed the step in front of me each time. I know it sounds really wonderful and twee, but, but I have. I've, I've done what I think was the right thing to do all the way through, what felt good to me. And the pivotal people have, I suppose you could say, have just shown up in my path. So a number of people have encouraged me. And you, you never know. I, I was drawn to coaching many, many years ago. And a friend of mine who was really lost, and then I met her again probably three months later, and she was focused and she had drive and her ambition was back and she was enthusiastic. And I said, what on earth has happened to you? And she said, you need to speak to this man. I said, okay, okay who? She says, an American guy. I said, really? Oh, okay. Um, well, that sounds like an expensive phone call. All right, then. So I called this guy up, and to cut many stories short, he ended up coaching me for a period of 12 weeks. And I can remember it was it was 2 o'clock every Wednesday, which was 9 a.m. his time. Um, and it was a brilliant coaching experience. And I, it helped me realize that the way in which I interacted with people was, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, it was curiosity. I was curious about, how people operate, why they do things, what switches them on, what switches them off. And I want people to enjoy themselves because I want to enjoy myself all the time too. And I've been criticized perhaps by some people in the past. In fact, I can remember my father saying when I was a teenager, he says, you're going off out enjoying yourself again, are you? And I went, yeah. He says, that's all you do nowadays, isn't it? Enjoy yourself. Yeah. And that was a really difficult time with my father, I remember at that time. Yeah. But but that has, and I not until I just said that just now, realized just how anthemic that is for me. And I like to see people enjoying themselves. And lots of people I now work with, and I'm very fortunate, there are more and more senior people I work with, you know, when you get underneath, they're not really enjoying themselves. And through dialogue, I can help people clean up some stuff, move stuff out the way, and for sure, and we'll talk about attitude, work on their attitude so that they do start enjoying themselves more. People are much more effective when they do that. Anyway, I've gone off on one. Forgive mm -hmm. me, Mark. <laughs> That's all right. Okay, so um, we are going to be talking about attitude today, and you have written a book about it, which you've already, uh, I think you've mentioned. Uh, anyway, uh, the attitude book um, with uh, which you've written, I don't know how long ago was it? It's been well, it was pu ago, published. Was it? Yeah, it was published in the middle of last year. Yeah, um, it's the it's actually my fifth published book, which the, the last, particularly the latter three, have followed a, a sequence. They're part of a a series of books for my with my publisher led publishing called Concise Advice, and there's a number of books in that series. I've got three of them in there, and you'll recall when we first started working together, it was uh, around the Keep It Simple book, mm -hmm. and in the middle time, I've written the Impact book. And then last year was the Attitude book. And, and it was sort of working with the publisher, in essence, the Concise Advice series, which I like. It's, it's quite literally that. It's how can we create, for me, almost like a handbook. So I, my work, I want to get across 
to people that they can take easy action rather than feeling profoundly uplifted by book and then doing nothing about it. Mm. So my book is, you know, the attitude book is, is 50 ways to raise shift or become more resilient around your attitude. And you don't need to read them in a straight line. You can dip in and out wherever you want to go because bizarrely, I suppose I, I would say my, my typical reader is somebody who hasn't got time to read books or doesn't find the time to read books. So I've written my work is, is often for those people to try and help them just, just carry the book with you for a few weeks, open a page randomly or read it in sequence if you want to. And if there's one chapter, cause the chapters are only sort of two or three pages long. If it doesn't resonate with you, don't worry about that. Go on to the next one. There'll be one very soon that will, will hit you. All of them are geared towards some kind of an action. So you can work with them. Yeah. And before we get carried away with the topic, I think we should mention that the, the book's up for an award tomorrow. If you just want to mention that, I think uh, you should uh, shout about that. Yes, I'm not, I'm not sure when this, this podcast will be aired, well, but um, Tuesday 26th. So people, anybody who follows me on, on Instagram and LinkedIn, etc., will know because I'll obviously not stop uh, uh, twittering on about it. But yeah, I'm, I, it's been nominated and it's now in the final of the Business Book Awards short book category. And that's tomorrow night. So I'll find out whether it's won the award. Fantastic. I wish you luck with that. Thank um, you. Um, yes, I, I can definitely recommend. It's a good read. It's lots of things. And there's lots of detail about the about attitude. But but why attitude? Why, why did you write this book about attitude in particular? Well, uh, attitude for me... And I don't know whether I called it attitude at the time, but this this was right in the middle of, I think, as I said a couple of paragraphs back, I want people to enjoy themselves. The people I work with, one of the outcomes of anyone that works with me is that they will enjoy whatever world they're in more. And it was attitude. And my the publisher, Lid, said to me, come on, we want the attitude book. This came after the, simple, uh, the Keep It Simple book. And I said, well, I'm not ready because as the more I think about attitude, the more I discover. And for probably two and a half years, I I pushed the publishing deadline with them back and back because it was right in the front of my thinking. Everywhere I went, I noticed how attitude was playing out in teams, in retail experiences, in the service industry. And I, I find it really curious how how people don't realize how their attitude is playing itself out. So it became really important to me. And eventually I did reach the point where I was the frustrated perfectionist in me allowed me to settle and find 50. I could have carried on writing more and more and more of them, but you got to the 50 in the end. And as I say, it's, it's something if I had a wish, that's what I'd want people to become increasingly aware of, which is how their attitude is formed, how they hold on to it, and how it plays itself out. And everything, all the results that show up in your life, all the interactions you have, the relationships you have, are affected by, or even directly influenced by your attitude. Mm. And I was, I heard, and I, of course now, my ears are alerted to anybody's use of the word attitude. And I was listening, I was watching some of the international football games over the last week or so. And I heard somebody talk about one of the teams 
that I was watching saying, you know, the, the attitude of the team has, has really improved. I thought, well, that's interesting how it plays out there. And it made me realize again that your attitude is almost your game strategy. So mm. it's, it's how you're deciding you're going to play the game. You know, are you going to be upbeat? Are you going to open? Are you going to be a little bit apprehensive? Whatever it is. And mm. for most people, they haven't decided. It's just a pattern. It's something they might have been carrying inside them for a long, long time. And their results, accordingly, might be a little bit near. Mm. And that's a good lead in, actually, because this is a podcast for those in the leadership position. So when we talk about attitude, it's not necess- not just our own attitude. As a leader, our attitude then uh, can affect our team. And yeah. I think, as you've just talked about football, and you know, at the moment, the English English team is doing particularly well because yeah. you know Gareth Southgate, Southgate is you know instilling obviously a good attitude in his team yeah and it comes from and and, and you could one could say the attitude is his attitude <laughs> excuse me um but it doesn't necessarily have to be the leader's attitude but the leader sets the tone that's been written about in in all sorts of different ways but mm. your attitude influences the group one of the the chapters in the attitude book is called roomitude and as you may recall from the presentations you attended that I've delivered, I like to make words up to describe the situation. And rumitude for me is something I noticed in a number of companies, small team meetings and bigger team meetings. And rumitude describes the average attitude in the room. And the leader or yours, even if you're not the leader of that room, how your attitude then meets and shifts or affects the room attitude, the roomitude. And there are a number of things you can do. You, you, a lot of people then would maybe gravitate to people who have a similar attitude to them. You magnetically are drawn towards them. And similarly, you equally magnetically repel people who've got a different attitude to you. But as a leader, it's your job maybe to influence that in the way you want it to be. And... You, you you need to nip the the bad stuff, nip the bad parts of the bud out quickly, and and that affects then your chance of of creating the rumitude, as I describe it, yeah. in the way you want it to be. <laughs> I, I think we've all all been, you know, we've had that experience with of rumitude, where you know you walk into a room and you know there's something that's right about it, or there's something that's not quite right about it, and that yeah. affects our attitude, and obviously that you know. And obviously that that goes on to affect the outcome of what's going on because, you know, yeah. it's, it's like a, you know, uh, it's where things start and, and how we maybe then get to the point where we want to go to because, you know, yeah. it's, it's the attitude or whatever it is in the room isn't where we need it to be. Yeah. And you, you're, you're a coach. This is a career that you've, you've put yourself in. So by implication, you will have sensitivities around mood and attitude of a room that you walk into we we all do all us human beings do we wouldn't be human otherwise some of us are perhaps a little bit more sensitive to it because that's our job that's what we pick up some of us might have dulled ourselves down and and just press on and don't pick up these things but as a, a sensitive person you're right you can walk into a room and even if you don't even look at people in the eye quite often you can feel the mood in the room you can sense it 
And some some of the work I've done with new to coach coaches, you know, I've I've helped them work on that. It's just a muscle that you can develop, which is to tune in to what's going on. Once you go through that, you want it to shift. And in the book as well, I talk about in the opening piece about your attitude range. Once you start working on this, you realize that it's not about choosing just one attitude and having that all the time. That's unrealistic in the life we all lead now. But it's about knowing what your attitude range is. For a while, shortening, narrowing the delta, the size of that range, and then moving it up. Because once you've moved it up, you can allow your range then to just gently expand. So as a leader, if you sense the room is a little bit, I don't know, tense, concerned, your, the right attitude there might be a little bit more assuring cautious, careful, um, trust, uh, uh, doing things that are more trustworthy and encouraging as opposed to jumping in and bouncing around like, like Tigger, you <laughs> might not necessarily be, be recognized. You might think, you know, you're off it. You're missing the point. So you, you need to, doesn't mean you meet the attitude at the same point, but you need to de- develop and adapt the range of attitudes that you bring to a room. Yeah, it's, it's having a good judgment of what's going on, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, and I've, I've just picked up something else I've written down from the sort of intro to your book. And you talk about the three axes. I think that's worth talking about um, or expanding on. Yeah. The body, thought, and the mind. Axis oh, I see. Thing, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, those who very careful. You get what I've written. What have I written? What have I written? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I noticed this as well, and I've done a lot of work, and somebody that helped me a lot uh, is a guy whose musculoskeletal work he's done on me to help, help my whole body shape change because I had a slight hunch maybe. Um, and when we are feeling a little bit awry or off in some way, quite often our body shape will change. So he's helped sort of straighten my back up and uh, get me more balanced. And in fact, we're pretty sure as well, because of the losing the slight stoop in perhaps in the top curvature of my neck, I'm probably just a tiny bit taller as well. So I would <laughs> always used to say that I'm, I'm six foot two and a bit, but now I quite confidently would say I'm six foot three now. I think I've gained that extra half or three quarters of an inch of height, but uh, well, it might not be the case. <laughs> but but your, your body shape is is reflective of your attitude. And you're right, those three things are playing out all the time. And I use a metaphor in the introduction of in the aviation industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love that metaphor and I'll, I'll use it a lot. And even when people say, no, you've stopped talking about it, I will continue, which is everybody knows about altitude in terms of referring to the height of an aircraft. But attitude refers to the angle of the aircraft in relation to the conditions. So, and I always describe it, children, when they land airplanes at first, they go up, fly, down. But then after a while, once they see airplanes, the planes just slightly tilt to take off, obviously, and they tilt correspondingly to land. The better the attitude of an aircraft during your flight, the smoother the flight will be, and the more efficient it will be on fuel. And I think that plays out totally for us human beings too. Mm. Once you work on the attitude, your physical attitude, you feel better. It's, it's a much more efficient way of being. Um, and as I say, I, I'll play that one all the time. But 
No, I, I can see how that fits in, and I, I, I agree with you. It's you know how you hold yourself is is can change your attitude and just the way you feel, and that you know that must have an effect on others. Um, if yeah. you're if you're not looking like you're in you know in the right frame of mind and you're you know in the right place, um, but how so? How does that then link to the thoughts and the mind thing? I'm, I'm guessing this is all interlinked. <laughs> It is totally. It's it's a trigger. I mm. work with people, and let's take an example. They say, you know, I really need ideas and more creativity. And I spent the whole day, and I, I just I just got more and more frustrated that I just couldn't come up with anything. And I would say, well, how did you spend the whole day? You know, where were you? Well, I was in my office, um, sat at my desk mainly. Okay, well, how would you sit at your desk? Well, I would, and they think, you know, where are you going, Simon? And in essence, I would just highlight them to their probably their body shape and the conditions and the environment that they were in at that time. And it becomes a bit of a no-brainer. They realize that, ah, maybe the environment I was in and the body shape that I was adopting for that period of time is not conducive to me having creative thoughts. No, it's not. You probably need to get up, walk around, change your environment. I remember being encouraged early on, and I've done this with a number of clients now, to, to help them look at the environments, their, all the environments they find themselves in. And if, if they're in particularly leadership roles, demanded to be more positive, more creative, whatever it is, you might need to shift some of your environments, which might mean a change in your office layout, um, a change in the number of places in which you work. Independent people, um, self-employed workers, I quite often will say to them, you know, what, what is your working conditions? Because quite often, uh, new to self-employed, they'll be working from home, from a table in their lounge or you know, the kitchen table or wherever it is. And, and that's great, but you will start to develop a pattern and your attitude will go with it that's related to that environment. Go create multiple offices. I remember a guy years ago used to call. There was one particular coffee shop that he found, and he called it his regional office. <laughs> he said, oh, I'll be in the regional office next week, which is in the next town. And you know, he, obviously there was a plug socket there, plug his laptop in, and he just felt better in that place. He could concentrate in a different way. And the demands we have on us, sometimes we might need to sit and concentrate and plow through stuff. Other times we might need to sit, sit and ponder. And particularly senior leaders, if you're going to add value, if you're really going to influence people in a great way, more of you, the real you, has got to come to the surface. And that might be restricted in some of your current environments. You might need to look at those and adjust them and add new ones. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Actually, I'm just... Um thinking about writing a book myself and I know that I'd never do it from where I work at home. So yeah. I've, I've just joined a co-working um, place that I think will be just the ideal place just, yeah. just so that I'll be in, you know, that right place to, to write. So I know that there'll always be too many distractions and, and you, sometimes you need to say, right, that's where I go to do that. Uh, and, yeah. and, and it's just, again, it's just a mindset thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's very difficult for some people to do fitness work at home. The discipline of going to a place, a gym often, can quite often help their mindset and their attitude shift. So they rock up to the gym and the act of putting on their gym kit 
and the act of walking into the gym environment shifts their attitude. And funny enough, when the attitude shifts, you'll trigger the motives. The motives will then kick back in again. So for you and writing your book, you might currently be making some stuff up that may or may not be true about, I can't write here, I can't do this, I've got instructions and so on. They may or may not be true, but it's about, okay, well, if the motive gets strong enough and is burning brightly enough, you could write your book anywhere. <laughs> Standing on a bus, you know, lying on a beach, you could write it anywhere. That's when the motive is burning. But the motive just gets dulled down in different places. Um, so it, it's possible for you to change it. And, and if we start to associate the motive comes, you know, strikes a light in different places, then cool. That's, that's the way it's going to work. But you could. Yeah. And, and think about other ways because you might be making some stuff up about I need to sit with a pen and a piece of paper and write and write and write. That's not the case. There are, I don't know, 20 ways to write a book now, nowadays. Mm. And only one of them is to sit with a blank piece of paper and a pen. You, know, you could Dave. talk it. You could discuss it. You could have a conversation with somebody over the phone and record it in this sort of podcast version. Um, I'm in the midst of, of writing a book with two colleagues at the moment about diversity and inclusion. And the three of us just go off at tangents all the time. So we're thinking, oh, how are we going to do this? So we have started just to have conversations. We're just meeting for conversations and each grabbing different notes. One of us writes something and sends it off. So we're just trying to find different ways of using our three energies to get something going because the lovely thing about writing a book and i can tell you this now having written a number of them is you just need to get something out there hmm. even if you can't stand it. <laughs> it it's the next stage in its development and i find i find much easier to edit my work and allow myself critic to be really critical and then I, I go through the, uh, the period of perfecting and yeah, yeah. obviously go, allow myself to think, okay, well, it's, it's, it's only, it's perfect. It has to be perfect now. There's no other, it can't go any more than this. So I'm just perfecting, perfecting all the time. Mm -hmm. And which leads me into something I've written down actually about attitude being a choice, and and that's yeah. that's basically what it boils down to, isn't it? That you know we have a choice, uh, yeah. and we can we can choose the attitude that, that suits. But it doesn't feel like it for some mm. people. So the, the entry level when I start to work with people on this is, it just feels like my attitude range is a given. You know, my environment is like this. I've been brought up this way. This is where I live. This is the, the nature of the business environment I'm in right now. You know, that's, no, it's still a choice. I know one of my books in the future is, is going to be totally about choice. And it can be a little bit overwhelming when you realize how much choice you have in every single moment. It is a little bit overwhelming. But you can choose at any time to just relax you know, shoulders drop and start again at any time. But we just pick up stuff and then we think, no, this is the way I am. And then the environment reacts to how we're being and the environment gets a bit crappy and, oh, and then <laughs> attitude goes with it. And we think, what's leading me now? Is it the environment and the conditions or is it me? If you're not careful, the environment, and the conditions are dictating who the version of you that's showing up. And it doesn't have to be. 
Yeah, and, and and can I just ask you to repeat the, the story you were telling before we went live about your father and what he said to you about uh, yeah. that's relevant. Um, yeah, well, as I said, I think I said at the top of this call that I I strive to enjoy myself <laughs> and to help other people enjoy themselves in what they do. And whilst that's not necessarily the the main sales statement for my business and why anybody should work with me, it's the truth because when people enjoy themselves. I think they're much more effective and good things happen. And when I was growing up, I remember my father saying to me once, he says, oh, off out enjoying yourself, are you? And I said, well, yeah, I hope so. And he said, uh, that's all you do nowadays, isn't it? Enjoy yourself. I was like, whoa, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think it is. And I went out and that was a you know, tough moment. And... Again, now, and it was only in our pre-conversation, I realized, again, that's obviously still plays out a little bit. I really yeah. do. And if I, if I was to go into trying to understand that situation a bit more, I was at that point, you know, teenager, uh, thinking, well, I want to go and enjoy myself. But all of a sudden, I felt a bit heavy because I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't a little bit. But mm. where had he come from? He'd come, you know, he'd a tough childhood and... I guess he'd come from a place where his unconscious attitude set was, you can't enjoy yourself all the time. And he was unconsciously restricting his ability to have full enjoyment. And that absolutely was his life. That was, that was the, the range of his life, I think. Yeah, and that's and I've had a similar experience with my father. He's he's not with us anymore, but he, you know, he had that. That I, well, I didn't do that when I was your age. So why should you be doing that? And also, yeah, you know, but what we don't well, always obviously, I, I'm mindful of that with my daughters and realizing that you know times move on and things that were you know um, luxuries um, back in when we were kids are now sort of you know everyday things. And obviously, mm. time moves on, doesn't it? I mean, it is our attitude that has to change, isn't it? Yeah, and coaching our children is is perhaps the ultimate challenge that we will never actually be very good at. And I'm sure you're finding that too. And I've got three children, and that is the case. Two two older ones, and I've done I've done the best I can. And I think they'd say I've done an okay job. I've also got a younger son who's 13, and you know sometimes the attitude, particularly at that age, you know, it drops, and they get the the fug on, and it's oh. And I said, come on, you get a choice, you get a choice. And I'll be quiet, Dad. So it's me standing <laughs> on my chair talking about attitude and you get a choice, but they don't really hear very much. No, knowing that what you do, you think, oh, here we go, he's going to bring out, he's coaching on yeah, me. He's, and they, <laughs> he's going off on one. Yeah, stand off. Mm. Yeah, walk away. This is not a coaching situation. No, um, absolutely. Yes. Great stuff. So uh, um, time has flown by, as it normally does with these things. Um, and we've got to the point now where we need to sum up a bit. And I tend to ask all my guests to sum up with three top tips for the listeners to take away with them after listening today. Okay. Thank you. And, uh, and that's always a challenge. And every time somebody would ask me that question, it'd be a different three every time I can assure you, but out of this conversation, and maybe what we said, the first one is the choice. I would like the, the listeners to realize just choice, just sit with the fact that I do have a choice for a little bit longer and it's very difficult to activate that choice, I think, when times are really tough and you don't realize that you've gone down a path before you realize. But, but one, we have a choice. Second one is a piece of advice from 
the Keep It Simple book, which, again, I mentioned to you earlier, which is 343, which is my principle that of the notionally 10 things are up to, there'll be three we're brilliant at, four that are coming with the turf at the moment, we're not sure how we're getting on with them, and three that we either don't like or when we're in the act of doing them, it takes too long, we're not skilled at it, it's a pain in the backside. And my advice is focus your time, effort, energy, learning on the top three. That's the gift. That's the essence of you. The more effort you put into that, the faster things will happen for you, the more enjoyment sits there. It does not sit at the bottom three. Outsource them, delegate them, move them on, swap them with someone else um, as a third piece. And then the, the my third piece is perhaps about the environments as, as that came up too and, mm. and i'd love to put in there about your your physical body shape as well become a little bit more aware of that but environments are important if you could possibly add one or two new environments to your week which could be a coffee shop which could be another meeting room in your building which could be just somewhere else you might suddenly surprise yourself at how different parts of your brain gets activated in a new environment that's my three. Probably a bit too big, but there you go, Mark. Brilliant. No, I think that's summed up really well. What we talked about, uh, some great uh, tips to take away, uh, and I resonate with all three of them. Really good. Um, so very thank, good. thank you very much, Simon, for your time today. It's been uh, really good. Um, thank you, Mark. we'll get another chance to talk about something else in the future. Uh, Indeed we will. Um, and obviously, good luck tomorrow night. Um, this will... This podcast will be probably well gone out. It'll be probably a month ago since the uh, the um, an announcement. But the awards, uh, yes, the awards, and, and so uh, the, the people that follow me, then they'll know. They'll know that I'm either <laughs> gloomy and I'm walking around. Oh no, yeah, my yeah. attitude has just gone completely, <laughs> or or I'm skipping around like a lunatic still. <laughs> Let's hope, hope it's the latter. Anyway, thank you for your time, and um, thank you, I, I enjoy the rest of your day. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to leave a review. Don't forget to check out The Reluctant Leader Project at www.thereluctantleader.co.uk. Make a note to start, stop or continue doing whatever struck a chord in this episode. And until next time, be the best you can be.